Victoria Santos from the Office of Communications and Marketing recently got a chance to speak with Bridget King. She was a psychology major during her undergraduate career and is now acting as an assistant professor in the Department of Political Science here at Auburn. And I just want to start off by asking you to introduce yourself, tell us your name, um, your title, and what you teach. Okay. Um, my name is Bridget King. I'm an assistant professor in the Department of Political Science. I am also, as of this fall, the director of our Master of Public Administration program. Um, at the undergraduate level, I teach our state and local government class, which is required for our undergraduate PA majors and oftentimes um, Undergraduate political science majors take it because they have an interest in state and local government. At the graduate level, I teach a course in policy analysis. I also teach a class on diversity, and I have taught a class on state politics. So talk a little bit about your interest in political science. Um, I think that a lot of people hear that, and they start thinking it's way more complicated, and especially you know when you're younger, um, you're maybe not so involved or so concerned about how things are going. So can you talk a little bit about your initial interests and if it was always political science and how you kind of made that into your career sure. and, and your interests? Sure. So as an undergraduate, I was not a political science major. No. I was a psych major. Um, and then during the spring semester of my senior year, I had a conversation with my mother where she was like, so you're about to graduate. What are you doing with your life? And I hadn't actually given a post my baccalaureate graduation uh, life any uh, thought, which is tragic in its own way. Um, and so in thinking about what it is that I wanted to do, the summer prior to the beginning of my senior year, I had a summer internship at the uh, Cuyahoga County uh, Department of Justice Affairs, so Cuyahoga County, Ohio. Um, and I was employed on a grant called the Juvenile Accountability Incentive Block Grant. Um, and so it's a grant that jurisdictions could apply for to use in a variety of ways relative to the populations that they were serving. And so one of the things that the Department of Justice Affairs um, decided to do um, in Cuyahoga County was get, use part of the money to hire some interns to work on some um, juvenile diversion programs. And so I spent a summer doing that. So we had like, um, I call it like a, it was like a fake scared straight program. Um, so we went to the Grafton Prison, which is a workhouse in Ohio. Um, and so the student, the students that we had, um, we walked around the prison, we took a tour, and then at the end of the, the visit, we talked to the inmates about their experiences and the choices that they'd made, um, things they regretted and things they might do different. And so in thinking about what I wanted to do once I finished my uh, undergraduate degree, I thought, oh, I'll save the children. So I thought I wanted to be a juvenile probation officer. So I started looking for master's programs in criminal justice or justice studies types of fields. Um, so I applied to a bunch of programs, and the program I got into uh, was at Kent State University. So they have a master's degree, or they had a master's degree in justice affairs, uh, which is basically their criminal justice program. And in the midst of doing that, I had a graduate assistantship, and I was totally loving my criminal justice sort of work. Um, but I had a dual assistantship, so I had an assistantship in the department. And then towards the end, I had an assistantship with the dean of the graduate school. So I was, you know, doing my, doing my uh, administrative duties for the day, whatever they may have been. And we just had a very casual conversation where she was like, I think you should get a PhD. And I was like, okay. Uh, because call me one for prolonging the responsibilities of adulthood, so I thought I'd just stay in school forever. Because um, again, clearly I don't plan. Um, so, when, so I started taking some of the PhD classes when I was still working on my master's degree. And then when I got into the PhD program, the woman who I was assigned to, her name's Caroline Tolbert, she is now at the University of Iowa, and she studies voting. 
Um, so they didn't have a, or they don't have a criminal justice sort of PhD program, but they have a political science degree with a track in criminal justice. And I was like, oh, this, this, is, this is perfect for me. So I was assigned to her, and she studies uh, state voting laws, and specifically state voting laws and how they affect turnout of different populations. And so I was doing work with her. Um, and in the midst of that, I discovered this thing or this um, feature of American democracy known as felony disenfranchisement. And I would say that was kind of the discovery that sparked my interest in all of this um, because felony disenfranchisement was kind of the blend of my two interests. So the first being my interest in criminal justice issues and then my evolving and emerging interest in um, voter uh, participation and turnout in state policies. Um, and that is a very long answer <laughs> to how I became a political scientist. Well, it's the truth. So it is the truth. Matters. It is the truth. <clears throat> um, so, and now you're also involved with the Election Center, correct? Mm -hmm. Can you talk about your role with that? Yeah, so the Election Center, which is a nonprofit in Katy, Texas, and Auburn University have had a working arrangement, I believe, since the 80s. Um, Robert Montjoy, who is retired from Auburn and um, also, I believe, the University of New Orleans, um, was instrumental in establishing that relationship. And so what happens is, so people who work in elections who want professional training sort of outside of academic institutions um, take courses through the Election Center uh, to get certified effectively in election administration. Um, and so the faculty and the MPA program, so Robert, myself, um, some of my colleagues, Kathleen Hale and Mitchell Brown, the faculty at Auburn University prepare the courses and administer the courses to the people who work in elections at various locations across the country, and then we have a national conference um, in the fall. So the work we do is all about professionalizing or, yeah, professional increasing the professionalization of election administration as a field. Um, and so this area kind of grew particularly after the, um, the election in 2000. Um, and so since then, with things that have happened, um, there's been an increasing interest in professionalizing election administration. And Auburn University, coupled with the Election Center, are basically on the forefront of that um, process and ensuring that people around the country who work in that area um, have resources, a, a network, and um, an additional uh, sort of additional professional additional access to professionalization resources as they do their jobs. How does that work for volunteers? So I know locally, you know, when we, I go to a vote um, mm -hmm. to my location, there's, there's, I see my neighbors there, you mm -hmm. know, working. Do they also benefit from this, or how does that? Is no, that so the down? the election center is so the courses offered through the election <laughs> center, if I uh, as I understand it, um, are just for people who actually work in elections. So you wouldn't see poll workers there on election day okay. um, because local um, jurisdictions are responsible for training of their poll workers, um, and there's a lot of variation obviously across states. Um, so the people who participate in the courses at the election center are election officials, so local election officials, state election officials, some federal election officials. Um, and then there's also some vendors who also have an interest in sort of understanding more about the processes and the procedures, um, and they also occasionally um, take the courses. I'm going to go off script here. Oh, okay. For a second. That's fine. How does one become an election official, and how do I get to know who they are? So I, I, I know that when I vote, the votes go somewhere, somewhere. and yes. people count mm -hmm. them, and you know, if they, there's rules that they have to abide by. How, do, how does someone get involved in that? How do, how do you identify them? Okay, so I will try to answer this question. <laughs> directly as I can. Um, so while we think about elections as um, these things that create political outcomes, which they are, they are also administrative processes. So the people who run our elections are, in effect, public administrators. 
Um, so the way, the way one might become an election official, um, some of them are appointed. Um, some of them uh, are, are elected, if you think about your chief election official in the state, so your secretary of state. Um, but most of them are hired um, through a regular sort of hiring process um, at the county level, oftentimes by a board, um, a county board of elections. Um, and so one way, if you were, say, someone who is in college or considering grad school, um, is to think about aligning your um, education with a program that will prepare you and expose you to that work prior to actually applying for a job in an elections office. And so in addition to the election center where you have actual uh, sort of professionals who are receiving additional professional training, um, there are two uh, graduate programs that have certifications or certificates in election administration, and one of them is housed right here at Auburn University. Uh, there are only two in the nation. Um, and so you could also think about programs that have curricular faculty who are very much invested in this work. So the MPA program at Auburn has the largest curricular faculty in election administration across the country. Um, so sh shamelessly or not so shamelessly, I would say if you're interested in election administration, you should come to school here. <laughs> and <laughs> yes. Um, so, but, but yeah, so elections are administrative procedures and, and processes. And so the people who work in them tend to, they oftentimes um, come from different um, walks of life. Very not very. Um, it's very rare to have a conversation with someone who works in elections and say, "Oh, you know, I've always known I wanted to work in elections." It's oftentimes something people fall into because of their experiences um, and connections or professional um, knowledge and skills. Um, but more often than not, um, it's something people love. Um, I might argue it's the best kept secret in election administration, but also not a secret, or in a public administration, but also not a secret, because we know there are clearly people running our elections. Um, but I think people often don't give any thought to who are these people, um, what is their educational background. But yeah, they're, administra they're prof uh, public administration um, professionals. Wow. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> <clears throat> Um, can you talk a little bit about, and you, you talked about where you did your undergrad and mm -hmm. your grad, but can you talk a little bit about your path? Um, you know, I know you said you were, you talked about how you became interested mm -hmm. in political science and elections. Can you talk about your path to Auburn? Sure. It was a winding road, <laughs> to put it mildly. Um, so just like I was reluctant to plan my future, I was also reluctant to uh, think about life as an academic because the whole, all, so I remember while getting my PhD, the only words that like would, rever would reverberate in my mind was like, publish or perish, publish or perish, publish or perish. And so that was very intimidating. Um, and so it was actually the thing I wanted to avoid. Um, but so while I was in, while I was working on my PhD, I was the program coordinator for the McNair Scholars Program at Kent State University. And so the McNair Scholars Program is one of the TRIO programs through the Department of Education, uh, which is there to increase uh, representation in the population of individuals who get doc doctoral degrees. Um, so we worked with low-income, first-generation, and students from underrepresented populations. And so I was very much committed, and I thought, this is totally what I want to do for the rest of my life. Um, but then I had a moment. And I was offered an opportunity to teach uh, a class as an adjunct in the political science department at Kent State where I was in grad school. And I was like, oh, well, maybe. <laughs> I actually do like this. Um, but there was still that whole fear of like, am I smart enough? Do I know enough? Are there questions that I want to answer that other people will actually think are interesting and will give me the green light and the thumbs up and actually publish them? So I wasn't entirely sure on that front. 
but I knew that I liked research. So um, when I was finishing, I applied for some teaching jobs, but not teaching jobs at like research intensive institutions. So teaching jobs where I'd have more opportunities to work with students. And then I applied for research jobs at like think tanks and nonprofits and other um, organizations. Um, and so once I finished, I worked at the Brennan Center for Justice at NYU for a year where I was a voting rights um, researcher. So we did a post-election survey um, with Common Cause around the November 2012 election. Um, and we just worked on a, a, a variety of other uh, projects supporting the work and mission um, of the organization. Um, but then I realized, you know, being in an office from like 9 o'clock in the morning <laughs> to 5 o'clock at night didn't necessarily provide me with the freedom to like, you know, uh, think about the things that I thought were important and interesting outside of the work of the organization. And I also realized that I missed working with students. Um, and so I stayed there for a year, and then I put myself back on the job market, and I taught for a year at Valdosta State University in southern Georgia, um, which was good because I got to work with students, um, which I missed, but I was also teaching a lot. And so in doing that, I realized, I, so I'm getting most of what I want. I'm working with students and I'm teaching, um, but because of the number of classes I taught each semester, there wasn't really the space to think about research or the things I was really interested in. So yet again, on the job market, I went. Um, and so I went to a conference. And while at the conference, by pure chance, I guess, I found myself on a panel with Kathleen Hale who now teaches at Auburn University, and Mitchell Brown, who also teaches at Auburn in the Election Center program and the MPA program and PhD program. Um, and we were, and, actu and actually Kathleen and I um, finished at the same graduate program, but we were like two ships passing in the night. So where she was finishing, I was starting, and I think I saw her in her office on maybe t two occasions. Um, and so we were just chatting about, you know, what we were all doing um, after the, oh, I know you. <laughs> moment. Um, and, you know, we talked about Valdosta and, like, the parts I liked, the parts I didn't like. Um, and they, they told, they suggested um, that I think about applying for their forthcoming tenure track job. And um, after having some serious conversations with myself and, you know, people who care about me and think I'm smart, even when I'm dope, um, and having conversations with um, some people um, and basically trying to puff myself up. <laughs> with enough confidence to apply, um, I did. And the rest, as they say, is history. Here I am. <laughs> it was meant to be. I guess so. <clears throat> well, um, you also sort of already talked about this a little bit, but uh, I guess let's just start since you've been at Auburn. Okay. When, did, when did you come? Here? Um, 2014? My fall 2014, okay. yes. Um, can you talk a little bit about what you've been doing since you've been here? I mean, obviously, you have a lot of research mm -hmm. history and, mm -hmm. and a couple of different things. Can you talk a little bit about if you've focused that or if you haven't, mm -hmm. um, what you're kind of researching since you've been here? Mm -hmm. I know you've published yes. an article mm -hmm. or a book, mm -hmm. um, and I know you're working with the Election Center mm -hmm. and teaching, and so yes. I don't know even how that's possible that you still have time <laughs> to research. But it's, it's a question. <laughs> I'm sure you make it happen. Um, so can you just talk a little bit about your current research um, just since you've been here? Sure. Um, so since I've been here, I've continued to focus on felony disenfranchisement. Um, I published one article with an undergraduate student, um, I think my first or second year here, um, that looked at the impact of the severity of state policies, um, so felony, state felony disenfranchisement policies on turnout of people who are eligible to vote. So 
for anyone who might be listening to this. So felony disenfranchisement is the loss of the right to vote for a felony conviction. And so like many other laws in the United States, because of federalism and the right, rights of states to make um, their own decisions in a lot of policy areas, there's great variation. So you have two states, Maine and Vermont, where people don't lose the right to vote at all. Um, and then you have um, states where people lose, lose the right just while they're in prison, while they're in prison or on probation, while they're in prison, probation or on parole. And then there's a la- the fifth category, which is often described as the most severe, where for some or all crimes, individuals lose the right to vote um, permanently without um, a rights, res- wow. without restoring their rights. And so Alabama falls into that last category because we have a list of crimes of moral turpitude, and for individuals who commit those crimes, um, they are disenfranchised and then have to basically um, work to get their rights back um, once they're um, no longer under supervision. But anyway, so... That's good to know. Yes. So I've continued... Sorry. I've continued to uh, work on that. Um, and so the um, the book that I worked on as an editor with Kathleen Hale um, is based, it's called Why People Don't Vote, Causes and Consequences. So the book covers a variety of sort of psychological reasons, so thinking about things like apathy or lack of interest, and it talks about also um, state policies and how those contribute to the extent to which people uh, don't participate. And then also there are chapters in there that look at things like mobilization, so the work of parties and third um, parties and um, interest groups and how those those things contribute to political participation. Um, I would say the the third branch <laughs> of what I'm focused on, which is honestly um, kind of it plus felony disenfranchisement, is where I've been spending the bulk of my research time, um, is thinking about how what voters experience when they actually go to vote on Election Day, um, how those experiences shape their perception of the process and the outcomes that stem from this process. Um, because one of the things we do know um, about democratic governance is that in order for it to be, you know, wholly legitimate, it's important that citizens have confidence and faith in the outcomes. So, you know, turnout is also important, but it's also, imp- and, you know, the outcomes are important, um, but it's also important to think about um, how those experiences shape um, citizen confidence, because if you're less confident, you're also less likely to continue to participate um, in the process. Um, right now, because this is never ending, I am working on a book with uh, Kathleen and Mitchell, um, from my department. Um, and so it is a book uh, that contains, um, it's called, the, the ten, it's about the future of election administration. And so it's focused on things that are very important in sort of the, the present moment um, of election administration and will continue to be important. Um, but the thing that's perhaps most interesting about the book is that we have a very unique collection of voices contributing to the book. So we have local election officials uh, providing content. We have academics who are also providing content. Um, we have, um, what did I say? We have local election officials, academics. Um, we have individuals who work in the space in nonprofits and professional um, organizations um, that are directly related to um, election administration. So it's kind of a collection of not all the voices in the field, but it's a good representation of voices in the field who are all speaking to things um, that are of particular importance as it relates to election administration. So you knew what you were doing with your psychology undergrad because mm-hmm. now you're looking at the psychology I of guess, voters. I guess. Maybe I'm slowly becoming a political psychologist. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. It's an emerging field. But you can lead it. No. I don't want to, I don't want to do that. <laughs> um, well, we'll go back to the election center, and, and you. I, I know I've asked you a lot about it already, mm-hmm. but um, if someone is listening who is tied into elections officials, um, mm-hmm. what are some of the programs that the election center offers? 
Oh, I happened to print them so I could give them Fantastic. to you correctly. Um, so the Election Center offers, um, has a professional education program, um, and they, it is the nation's first professional certification program for election and voter registration professionals. Um, and the program that I teach in is the Certified Elections Registration Administrator Program. Um, so I believe, Lord, don't get me wrong, um, I believe it consists of um, 20 courses that individuals take. Um, and so the courses are get, um, presented at various locations across the country. Um, so it's geographically feasible for people to get there. Um, and then once people complete all the required courses, uh, there's a graduation ceremony uh, that's attached to the national conference that we have at the end of every year. And so it's a, it's a good um, mix of people from across the nation who come together. And it's, I mean, it's also like in addition to providing um, the professional certification curriculum. Um, participating in the Election Center is also useful in terms of networking and the sharing of ideas. Um, because obviously jurisdictions are resourced differently and so it's an opportunity for there to be crosstalk across, um, although there already is some, but in, for enhanced communication and conversation about the issues that different jurisdictions are facing, how they've addressed those challenges. Um, they can share information, successes and failures. Um, it is honestly one of the favorite, my favorite parts about my job. <laughs> I remember when um, Dr. Slayton was here a while back and I'm I think we had one of the conferences here in the graduation ceremony. This mm -hmm. was a while ago. Mm -hmm. And um, they, the people who attended were so excited to mm -hmm. talk to other people who mm -hmm. do what they do because mm -hmm. I think it's so specific mm -hmm. and so, you know, not the kind of thing that people understand exactly mm -hmm. what you do. And so same thing, like you mm -hmm. said, sharing um, problems and resolutions. And uh, they, they, that was the best part for them. Mm -hmm. I think that they, they um, really enjoyed that. So. I don't know where is the next conference was it November so the so we have so last year um, in conjunction with the election center we had a symposium at the AU conference um, center and hotel last fall um, we're planning to have another one at next fall um, not sure what the title will be so the last one was inclusion and integrity um, in the election administration and so we're thinking about what the um, topic for our next symposium will be um, here but uh, the next election center conference uh, the national conference is in Orlando in fall of what year is this in fall of 2019 there you go. okay <laughs> I mean all that information is on the election center um, okay um, website website okay mm -hmm. um, I was just curious about and maybe you've you've seen whatever trends there are that are coming, and maybe there aren't any. But um, I wanted to ask you about if anything has kind of stood out to you as mm -hmm. new or unusual in local and national elections over the past five years. I know two thousand was the big kind of right. push for all of this, but um, or even just since your time in Auburn, mm -hmm. has there anything that's um, stood out to you and where you can say, okay, I was not expecting that, or this is something we need to incorporate into our teaching or into our training. Um, I think perhaps the thing that has surprised me most, although maybe it shouldn't have, um, is the amount of misinformation <laughs> um, that I see, whether it be uh, mostly on Facebook, um, about election processes and procedures. Um, and it's probably an artifact of the way there's just so much information more broadly. Um, but when I think about the damage that misinformation surrounding elections can do, not only as it relates to turnout, um, but also as it relates to disenfranchising voters or people having confidence in the system. Um, 
that has been the most, maybe not surprising, but concerning um, thing that has happened. Um, and also, um, maybe the challenges that citizens face in finding accurate information or information that they um, believe to be true. I can tell you a story yes, without listing any jurisdictions. Okay. Um, so I have a friend who works in elections, and she spent a good chunk of her September um, explaining to people that some information that was posted on the Internet about early voting um, was not true. The information being that it was the number of days were going to be reduced and that people, and it, she was trying to disenfranchise voters um, by reducing the number of days people could vote early, um, none of which was actually true. Um, and so all of it began because someone posted something on Facebook. And so we don't know. I mean, so you can see how many people liked it or didn't, but you don't know how many times it was shared. You don't know how many how many screenshots of it were sent out and disseminated to the masses. Um, so not only the amount of misinformation, I guess, is shocking, surprising, concerning, but also um, the ease with which something very simple that one person does can dramatically affect people's perception of a process um, and the procedures and the outcomes that stem from it. Yeah, I think social media, I don't know that anyone really could have anticipated its impact mm -hmm. on information and mm -hmm. ultimately voting. Mm -hmm. um, or just life in general. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. <laughs> really. Um, is there anything that you all do to combat misinformation? Obviously, training is a big thing and, and informing the folks that you can, mm -hmm. but is there any kind of, I can't imagine that there would be, but is there any kind of... Um, you know, open forums or anything that's being held, even maybe by the elections officials to mm -hmm. say, here are the rules, we cannot mm -hmm. deviate from them. And any, you know, in, in these contexts, maybe every election cycle, is mm -hmm. there anything like that that happens or that might be in the works? I mean, I think the thing um, that people, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna make a circle back to your question. <laughs> Sounds good. So I think the thing that people should understand about the people who run our elections is that they are very committed to adhering to the rules, policies, and procedures of their state and local jurisdiction. They are also very committed to ensuring that the citizen volunteers or poll workers who voters interact with on election day um, are trained to the best of their capability to follow the rules and the laws of the state, the, the state and um, the local jurisdiction. Um, and so even though for us, the voter, um, elections and the administrative procedures surrounding them and the rules are just sort of like a one-day affair for us, um, the people who work in elections are working 360, not 365 days, that's the weekend, but they're working, they, 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 they are engaged in ensuring that elections are carried out the way they are legally mandated to, to be um, every day they're at work. Um, and so to answer your question, I would say yes, because it's basically what they do every day, um, ensuring that the machines are right, that um, the, the ballots are accurate, that um, people get their absentee ballots in time, ensuring that information is provided to voters in an official manner or capacity, whether it be via social media or in print media. Um, the people who run our elections actually work very hard. Um, and they're working in a space where they don't necessarily always have control of the narrative or the information that people have. Um, so you can think about it oftentimes when something happens as trying to 
um, bail out a boat that's being overrun with water with like a red solo cup. Um, and they do these things um, oftentimes with limited budgets and resources. Um, so they might be, I don't want to say they are the hardest, but they might, they are some of the hardest working, um, public administrators in the nation and their commitment to their job and their commitment to democracy and citizen access is something that I find wholly amazing. I sound like a fangirl. (laughs) So what is next for you? I mean, it sounds like you're already working on another book Mm -hmm. and you already have all your time filled with everything. (laughs) Um, so just curious about if there's anything, um, that you want to talk about that's up and coming or anything that you want to focus on for the research that you're doing or the election center or political science or anything like that? So one of the publications um, I have that is um, forthcoming in the Election Law Journal um, is all about descriptive representation. Um, So um, the people who work in administrative capacity reflecting the population that they serve. Um, And so it's about descriptive representation between citizens and the poll workers who they see on election day. Um, And so it kind of happened at the same time I taught a class on um, diversity in the MPA program. Um, And so in thinking about that, I've been spending more time thinking about poll workers and who poll workers are. And so I'm doing some work that looks at state poll worker qualifications and how those things contribute to um, the population of individuals who get to serve um, on election day. Um, tentatively, I may, along with um, some of my colleagues, um, so Kelly Krawcheck, um, who does does a lot of our work relative to global public administration um, and nonprofit work, and we may be going to Nigeria to observe their election in February. Um, and so, you know, there's a lot going on. A lot of cool things happen on the eighth floor of the Haley Center in the eighty thirty suite. Where the MPA program is. That's right. <laughs> well, thank you so much. I appreciate your time and no for problem. being here. And this podcast has been produced by the College of Liberal Arts Office of Communications and Marketing. To learn more, please visit us at cla.auburn.edu. You can also like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at AU Liberal Arts. I'm Kristen Dietrich, and thanks for listening.